Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another fantastic show for you. I'll talk with Ken McMillan, sports editor of the Times Herald Record in Middletown, New York, about Saturday's Army-Navy football game, which we played on with the West Point campus for the first time since 1943. ESPN Radio's Freddie Coleman is back. We will talk about the mess that is the New York Jets, and we discuss the coronavirus's effect on the NFL and college sports. Well, on Wednesday, the Capital Region received some stunning news, and it's unfortunate. Major League Baseball decided not to give the Tri-City Valley Cats a player development license and its restructuring of the minor league baseball system in 2021. To discuss this move is the general manager of the Valley Cats, Matt Callahan. Matt, I appreciate you coming on here on uh, this Wednesday, and how are you doing? Doing all right, Ken. Oh, sorry, let me put you up with speaker. I didn't hit the speaker button. I apologize. So how are you doing? Doing, doing all right. We're, uh, we're hanging in there. Yeah, uh, when you got the news on Wednesday, how stunned were you? You know, we were surprised. Um, I think, you know, the, the biggest surprise was how we found out. I mean, we, we haven't received any direct communication from Major League Baseball, you know, no letter, no form letter or anything. Um, so we, we, we found out, you know, on social media and, and on Baseball America as, as they published a list and we started putting the pieces together. So that's, you know, that's the most surprising surprising part to be honest with you what do you think the reasoning was I mean you've been, you've been this team's been here since 2002 when it came over from Pittsfield and it's been a huge success you know great crowds every year entertaining baseball uh, won a few, a few uh, New York Penn League titles uh, uh, the fan support like I said the fan support's been incredible uh, a great ballpark uh, what did Major League Baseball not see in uh, in the Tri-City Valley Cats you know I honestly don't know Ken um you know, for, from our perspective, I think we checked all the boxes. Our, our fan support's been tremendous. The facility is, is on par with, with many and better than some of the, the facilities that, you know, kept uh, affiliations. Um, the market's good. Our, our reputation uh, on the baseball side in terms of, of fostering player development has always been positive. And, you know, that was the feedback we received at every turn as we were making phone calls and reaching out to people. Uh, so I, I don't know. It's... Um, you know, without having without having any uh, communication or, or receiving any any sort of information from Major League Baseball, it's hard to know exactly what went into the decision. Yeah, the team's been affiliated with the Houston Astros since uh, you know, the last years of Pittsfield. Uh, it's been here ever since. Uh, what did, did you did the Astros reach out to you about the situation during the process, and have they talked to you since the announcement? Yeah, we, we've communicated with with Houston, um, to, you know, during the process um, a bit more lately. We haven't we haven't heard from them or spoken with them with them today. Um, you know, their feedback to us again was was that there there's not going to be any short season. So obviously, you know, that that was that was the level we were at when we were affiliated with them. So that created some challenges. Um, but they were were very happy with our relationship and our operation and the facility. So they, you know, they didn't have any issues with us. And, and you know, my understanding was that each major league club was able to provide feedback um, to major league baseball as a whole. And this is this is going back, you know, maybe six eight months. 
Um, and the player development folks with, with the Astros provided very positive feedback about us. Um, so, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just uh, that, That's the most frustrating part is just not knowing if it was something that was glaring here or that, you know, we didn't do or we felt we didn't do, then, you know, it's easier it's easier to understand the decision. But we're, we're just, you know, we're kind of at a loss for, um, for, for why we're in this position. Is it frustrating? You see the Hudson Valley Renegades, they're going to continue on as a Yankees affiliate, full-time affiliate, uh, full season affiliate. Does that make it more frustrating that, you know, why couldn't we be a part of that? Sure. You know, I, you know, I think when you look at whatever the footprint of that new league is going to be, you, you know, you wish that it, it could have extended, you know, another hour and a half, hour and 40 minutes north and, and you know, still fit in the, the geographical footprint. But, you know, I, I, I don't know what... I don't know what the criteria, final criteria was. I think, you know, there's a lot more um, that ended up being subjective and, you know, maybe some behind-the-scenes stuff that, uh, that we're not privy to that, that made some of these final decisions of, of who the last couple teams on the list were and, and who the, you know, the last couple off the list were. So what's the next step for the organization? What do you, I mean, you still want to try to have a, a season in 2021. What's, what, what's, uh, what's out there right now? Is it, I mean, they're talking about maybe Woodbat League uh, for the you know, the 40 cities that are not going to have it. Obviously, they reduced from 160 to 120. So, what's what's on the horizon for the Valley Cats? Yeah, so we you know we declined the invitation to the the draft the draft league um, wooden wooden bat league that Major League Baseball has has put forth. There's there's four four teams from what was the New York Penn League participating in that. We didn't we didn't feel like that was the right fit for us. Um, so we're focused on on continuing to offer professional baseball here. We're um, you know we've had preliminary conversations with some of the independent leagues, and I anticipate that that those uh, conversations will will pick up some steam uh, over the next couple weeks. And you know our hope is that we're we're able to you know work something out and and, and play play a season in 2021. Obviously, there's uh, a lot up in the air on the baseball front. There's probably even more up in the air on the uh, the pandemic front. So um, we'll see what happens. But that's you know that's what we're pointing towards, and, and that's that's where we're going to put our efforts moving forward. Would the uh, organization be down the road pursue uh, affiliated ball again and try to get a, a full season uh, team in here? Um, I mean, it's too early to say definitively, but you know, I, I think I think we're we're certainly not closing off any of our options. Um, you know, and if, if there's MLB expansion or if there's changes, um, you know, within the the current or the new affiliate structure that affords us an opportunity to, to reexamine that, I mean, certainly we would take a look at it. Um, I, you know, I think it'll depend on what the terms are and, and where we where we are with our new business life um, when we get to that point. Is there talk maybe down the road? I mean, do you think? Maybe the seating capacity played a role in, uh, uh, and it could 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 the Joe be expanded somewhere down the road? Yeah, I don't, I don't think that the seating capacity played a role. Um, I could be wrong, but that was never, you know, again, that was never communicated uh, to us as a challenge, you know. And I think some of these things, if they they ended up being factors, that's even more frustrating because they could have been addressed if you know if we had to increase our capacity i think that that's something that we certainly would have would have looked at and would have explored but you know from an attendance standpoint there's teams that ended up on on the 120 list that we outdraw significantly so i I, you know i can't 
really assume that attendance played a significant factor in uh, in Major League Baseball's decision making process. Could could this area support a full season uh, Major League Baseball affiliate? It's been since uh, 1994 since uh, we had a full season uh, team when the Albany County Yankees were here. Yeah, I, I think they could certainly. You know, I, I, it's not without its challenges. I think you know we we could have a day like today with where it's snowing out. If uh, you know, in the middle of April when you're trying to start a season, which is is not ideal for sitting in the stands for a baseball game. But you know, I think I think with any um, new situation, you know, new challenge of an extended schedule playing earlier in April that provides some opportunities too. You know, you can um, have some some day games with where you're engaging with the schools and get creative with some of those promotions. So I do, I, I you know, I, I certainly think that the, the area, the market it could support a long season team. They've supported us tremendously. We're grateful for that support over the years and, you know, whatever independent model we pursue, it's going to be an expanded schedule as well, whether we're, you know, starting in, in April as part of the, the Atlantic league or, you know, if it's the frontier league and we're, we're playing in May. So we will be, playing a bit earlier um, with an expanded schedule potentially and you know we're confident that that the fans and, and the community will continue to support of course we had independent baseball here from 1995 to 2002 with the Albany County Diamond Dogs in the Northeast League a team that was very successful won a couple of championships and was well supported so I mean you guys do enough not just with the baseball obviously you make it a great fan experience uh, you know, so I think that's what brings the fans to the to the ballpark because they just, they want to be entertained not just with the baseball but with uh, uh, the promotions that you do during the games. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree, and you know that's our focus is to to continue to provide you know that fan experience that that Valley Cats experience that we've we've built our our brand around, and I think that you know the backdrop will still be professional baseball maybe a different model you know different players but I mean let's face it there's not a, a tremendous amount of Houston Astros fans in this market anyways and you know I think I think affiliation has its cachet but you know maybe independent provides us with some some different and unique opportunities do you think Rob Manford is making a mistake by reorganizing major uh, minor league baseball and you know, cutting the number of teams I, I do um, you know I think if you look at the the health of the game, um, the participation at the grassroots level, um, attendance at the major league level is declining. You know, one of the strong, one of the strongest areas of, of baseball support is minor league baseball. And I think if you're going to pull it out of, um, you know, 40 markets or whatever the final number ends up being, you know, I, I, I can't imagine how that helps the long-term health of the game. You're just you're you're taking that initial access point away from communities that, that probably don't have easy access to Major League Baseball. And I just yeah, I, I think that I think in the short term, you know, you may not see that impact, but I think over time it'll it'll bear out and will will certainly prove to be a, a poor decision. How difficult a year was this for the Valley Cats? I mean, I know it, you know with the, the death of. Uh... Mr. Gladstone uh, earlier in the year, and uh, just uh, not being able to play games this year. We, how tough was the, was the year? Yeah, it's it's a tough year. It's a very difficult year. Um, you know, for us, our office is a, a small group. There's on, on a normal year, there's 13 of us full time, and you know, the amount of time we spend at the ballpark, it's it's a family. It's a small family, and you know, it's been it's been challenging. I think everybody's had had tremendous challenges with the pandemic, you know, us included. And, 
then having the season canceled and the, the death of, of Bill, you know, layered on top of that, and now the news from, from Major League Baseball, yeah, it's, it's been difficult, but, you know, we're in we're in the pro sports business and we have a sports mindset. So, you know, I think, I think we've all played sports and gotten knocked down once or twice, but so you got two choices, right? You, yeah. you stay down and, you know, hold your knee or, or you, you hop back up and get back in the fray. And, you know, that's what we're going to focus on doing. What's the timetable to have a decision, uh, whether you have a, a, a independent, uh, status, uh, and join an independent league, uh, in 2021? Well, uh, there's a lot of moving parts, obviously, um, but our our goal and our hope is to have um, you know have a decision hopefully by the end of the year. You know, I know that the independent leagues are going to be looking to get their schedules finalized, so they'll you know they'll need to know the teams that are in there um, and any teams that are you know coming from affiliated ball over. So we're we're hoping to move pretty quickly over the next couple of weeks, and if not by the end of the year, then then certainly as we get into the early part of, of January. Matt Callahan, general manager of the uh, Tri-City Valley Cats. Uh, I appreciate you coming on, and, and, and I hope you have a great Christmas and a uh, prosperous 2021, and let's hopefully we'll see some baseball at the Joe uh, come the spring. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Ken. Happy holidays, and um, hopefully we'll, we'll talk to you again soon with some, some more concrete news for, uh, for our next steps. Okay, well, I, we'll get you back on the podcast once we know that. Thanks, Matt. That's Matt Callahan. We'll talk Army-Navy football with Times-Herald Sports Editor Ken McMillan here on the Parting Shots Podcast. I'm Dr. Howard Zucker, New York State's Health Commissioner. It's flu season, and it's always a good idea to get the flu shot. But this year, it's more important than ever. A flu shot won't prevent COVID-19, but it will lower your chances of getting seriously sick from the flu. If you do get sick, the shot can lessen your symptoms and help you feel better sooner. The last thing you or the healthcare system needs during this pandemic is a bad flu season. So please, protect yourself and your community. Get a flu shot now. Hi, I'm Daily Gazette staff writer Mike McAdam. I'd like to wish you a happy holiday season. Please stay safe and wear the face mask so we can enjoy talking about sports and not the pandemic in 2021. Welcome back to the podcast. The annual Army-Navy game takes place Saturday. However, thanks to the coronavirus pandemic, it won't be taking place in Philadelphia, the traditional host city, or in the alternate sites of East Rutherford, New Jersey, and Baltimore. For the first time since 1943, the game will take place on the grounds of the United States Military Academy in West Point. To talk about that is the sports editor for the Times Hall record in Middletown, New York, which is not that far from the Army campus. It's sports editor Ken McMillan. Ken, welcome to the Parting Shots podcast, and I appreciate a few minutes talking about Army-Navy football. Oh, my pleasure, although I'm sure we could talk hockey too, right? Oh, we could talk <laughs> hockey, we could talk TV. It's, <laughs> it's a crazy time, but uh, let's uh, focus on the Army-Navy games. Now, as I said, for the first time since 1943, the game is being played on campus at West Point. I mean, how excited are... I mean, I know it's, I don't know what the crowds may like, but how excited is everybody to have the game on campus? Well, I think the uh, the Army football team is happy because uh, I'm sure they have a little bit of a home field advantage. They have a tremendous home winning streak at the moment, but it loses its impact when you're not uh, playing before a crowd of seventy thousand people. Uh, the only people who will be admitted will be the uh, Corps of Cadets and the Brigade of Midshipmen. 
I mean, how disappointing is that? Yeah, obviously, we, you know, we, the tradition, the passion, the the the, the, the pageantry of the of the event you know, down in Philadelphia. Yeah, you know, the, you know, the both uh, sides walk in, and yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that loses that luster a little bit. It does a little bit, but uh, they do plan on doing the march in, and uh, the uh, the TV networks will, will be showing. You know, the, I think CBS Sports Network is showing the annual march on, and that's when they usually bring a bunch of uh, military folks from both schools to talk with the announcers and such, and then and they can still share their. Uh, comedic videos about the Army-Navy series. And frankly, once the game begins, uh, they're just focused on each other. That's what all the uh, Army players are telling me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, do you get a sense from the from the, the players themselves that they're excited, to, even though they don't get a chance to go to Philadelphia uh, like they usually do, to, to be able to play at home? Is, I mean, this is probably good, you know, maybe a once-in-a-lifetime once event for them. Yeah, they realize that this could be the last Army-Navy game that's ever played in one of the home stadiums, and it kind of fell into West Point's lap uh, when Philadelphia, the restrictions on COVID uh, restricted large gatherings. So the two schools you know, had to talk about it, and uh, since it was Army's home game, uh, the game was moved to West Point. Um, the players haven't indicated uh, any uh, concern about not playing in a big stadium. Of course, they lose that on having family and friends uh, come to the game, but they're they're just focused on the game. And I asked Jeff Munkin, the coach of Army, the other day, and while he would like to see the game back in Baltimore and Philly for obvious reasons, um, he's happy the game is here. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think it's going to be a fun time just to see uh, something like this. You know, we'll get obviously CBS will probably show shots of the, of the campus. Uh, the surrounding area, the Hudson River. So, I mean, I think it's, I think it's good. This could be a nice telecast. Yeah, when you think about it, when you're in a 70,000-seat stadium or the old uh, JFK Stadium in Philly held, I think, 90,000. Yeah, it did. And yeah. it was full. Yeah. I mean, people people went to the game, but you're talking about having 4,000 cadets, and I'm not sure how many folks from Navy are coming up in the brigade, but I imagine it's the same uh, amount if they're going to do a march on. So when you put 8,000 8, plus people in Mikey Stadium, which usually seats around 40,000. It'll be intimate. Uh, what kind of safety protocols are they taking, uh, obviously, if they're going to do the march in? and I mean, What kind of safety protocols is uh, Army doing? Well, as far as the, uh, the teams, both teams are tested regularly. Uh, they get their reports probably right around this time about you know who can play, who can't, and we know that both campuses had uh, problems with uh, COVID, and but they both have a lot of players as well on their roster, so that shouldn't be a problem. As far as uh, personnel, like game day personnel, they're all under the same protocol they've been through the season. Um, I know with the, the media, actually, that protocol's got a little tougher. Uh, we go through uh, uh, screening questions ahead of time, and but this week they're requiring a COVID test within 72 hours. So they're taking it uh, quite seriously. But, you know, after the first week of the season, you just got used to it. I'm just reading the game notes here, Ken, and uh, the third item uh, listed, the Black Knights are 0-3 versus the midshipmen when playing at West Point. What's where, No home field advantage for the Army? What's going on here? <laughs> well, I guess back in uh, 1890 when the game was created, uh, Navy already had a team. So Army was at an obvious disadvantage 
for the first game, and then they had another one in 1892. And then uh, I think it was the third, it was the fourth year of the series. They decided to move this game to uh, regional sites, um, most notably Philadelphia, because it was equidistant between the schools. Uh, obviously, World War II forced, I think, the 42 game to Annapolis and the 43 game to West Point. And then they, uh, you know, re- returned back to the neutral sites. So uh, I, I'm not sure how far these statistics go back on a home field advantage, but as far as uh, the current streak, I mean, Army's been winning uh, its home game since, I think, November of last year. Army coming into this game 7-2. and two. Uh, talk about the job uh, the coach has done, Jeff Munkin has done. Uh, you know, this, for a time there, Army football was really just dead in the water, and uh, Navy had dominated the series, but Army has won, had won three straight until last year. But uh, this, this uh, Black Knights team has really played well over the last few years. Well, you have to give Jeff Munkin a ton of credit. Uh, the first two years, he you know inherited uh, previous players and was installing his system. His system. Granted, Army's been playing, you know, option football for quite a while now, but he was quite successful with it when he was uh, assistant coach elsewhere, including Navy, and when he was head coach at Georgia Southern. So uh, starting his third year, you know, they were posting winning records for uh, three years in a row, three bowl games. I think they just lost enough key pieces following 2018, which left them a little bit shorthanded in 2019. And, of course, they had a lot of injuries at quarterback last year. So that was a tough go. Uh, but they, they, they really have improved their depth this year. And while they're still having some quarterback issues injury-wise, uh, the depth has really carried them over. And the defense is doing a heck of a job this year. They got the uh, a former coordinator from the uh, University of Mich- Michigan, uh, Nate Woody, as their defensive coordinator. And, you know, he had this team you know, ready and raring to go at the start of this season. I think some of the opponents have picked up on some of Army's uh, best traits of defense and kind of defense that well, Cincinnati did, Tulane did. But uh, Army has, you know, certainly weathered the storm here and has looked very impressive this year. Running an option in in the era of football where we're seeing a team's pass happy now, I mean, it's a, it's almost a throwback to old school football. Three, uh, th- uh, three yards in a cloud of dust. Surely, uh, you know the, the, the success of the option attack for Army uh, is, you know, longstanding. I think for the last twenty years, you'd find most of the time Army has been ranked in the top five, if not the top three in the nation in uh, offensive uh, rushing yards, uh, and that's a product of this system. That's why a lot of teams. Uh, potential opponents have shied away from playing Army because they don't want to have to face this one peculiar team uh, every year. And uh, I know that when, if you go back to the start of the season when the entire, practically the entire Army football schedule was erased uh, by COVID and teams not going to play this ball or teams shortening their schedules or only playing uh, conference-only games, Army lost nine games and only had three left, Tulane, Air Force, and Navy. Uh, so Bob Beretta, the assistant athletic director, was charged with uh, putting together an entirely new schedule. Uh, he did pick up nine foes. They only lost the Brigham Young game to uh, COVID and didn't get that replaced. Uh, the Air Force game was also postponed in November, but they're playing that next week. Um, so, But when, when Bob was 
consulting with other teams asking if they would play. Some of them were like, no, we don't want to play you guys, you know, <laughs> because, of, because of the option football. Another set I'm just looking at here, Ken, in the notes, I mean, in the three games that were played at West Point, Navy has outscored Army 49-4. to That's tough to do. Two safeties in three, in three games at, <laughs> at West Point. So, I mean, next, you know, hopefully they get a field goal and a touchdown to break that skid. Oh, maybe maybe they were playing the old Canadian Rouge, Rouge rule yeah. at one point. I don't know back then. You know, it's a long time before I was born. <laughs> so, I mean, how much are you looking forward to covering this game? Uh, very much so. You know, uh, in a way, I'm. It's kind of like uh, uh, how some of the players feel. It's, it's it's just another football game, okay? But there's there's a lot that goes into it, and uh, I'm not a, I'm not big into pomp and pageantry. You know, the march on. I, I've seen it before. Uh, uh, and so I'm kind of on the same page as Jeff Munkin. But as a football game, it's an intriguing matchup. Uh, I think both teams match up well. They obviously play the same offenses. And the, 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 the cute thing every year is one or both teams always pulls out some sort of trick play uh, during this game. So uh, that'll, be, uh, that'll be interesting to see. And, of course, Navy doesn't have Malcolm Perry anymore, so a lot of West Point fans can uh, breathe easier. Yeah, Navy having a tough year, three and six. I mean, they opened up, got blown out by BYU, and I don't really don't think they ever recovered from that. Well, you know, I'm sure some of the West Point fans won't enjoy me saying this, but I really think, you know, the way I've seen BYU play, I don't, I don't think Army stood a chance against BYU this year. But you know, they 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 played Cincinnati when they were ranked number nine, lost the game, and you know, really wasn't competitive. Tulane was a little bit of a, a little bit of a shocker. You know, Army usually matches up well with them, but so that was a bit of a disappointment. But you know, when you look at the seven wins, Army doesn't have the strongest schedule. Uh, you know, I did a research on it to start of the year, and you know, they, you know, they, I don't want to call them cupcakes, but you know what I mean. They're 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 playing teams that haven't really excelled this year, so. I don't want to say it's a, a totally soft schedule because that would take too much away from what Army's accomplished. But you know they're not—they're certainly not playing like a top ten strength of schedule. Ken, working up, people find you on Twitter to follow your coverage of this game. Well, our newspaper Times Herald Record is uh, recordonline.com, and I can be followed on Twitter and Parlor at Ken McMillan T H R. Well, Ken, I appreciate a few minutes talking Army-Navy football, uh, and it's great to catch up with you. Uh, Hopefully we'll get to talk some hockey somewhere down the road uh, once we uh, get the pandemic over with. uh, Maybe we can talk if Union Army end up playing again uh, sometime down the road. We'll talk then. Uh, I know Army only just started its season last week. Nice one-and-one start. So, uh, yeah, certainly looking forward to that. Well, it's going to be interesting to see if we get through this college hockey season with the pandemic going on. We're we're seeing Hockey East games getting rescheduled. Uh, ECAC hockey's down to four teams right now. So it's just a – it's it's really just a tough situation, I think, for everybody involved. Well, Army had, you know, COVID within its team, both football and hockey. And so Army hockey lost its first five games this year. Uh, to the co- to the COVID, uh, so they opened with Bentley last week, and uh, uh, now they're taking those canceled games and kind of sticking them in some of the week weekday spots. So, uh, but you know, good start by the by the Black Knights. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. I can appreciate it again. Uh, we'll talk soon. All right, be good, Kenny. Right, that's Ken McMillan of uh, the Times Herald Record down in Middletown. Up next, ESPN Radio Fred, Freddie Coleman joins me to talk here on the Parting Shots podcast. 
Hi, this is Miles Reed, editor of the Daily Gazette. These are difficult times. For most of us, the coronavirus crisis has been a time of unprecedented upheaval, uncertainty, and fear. What does it all mean for our health, our families, our jobs, and our futures? At the Daily Gazette, our journalists have been working tirelessly to answer these questions and many more that have come up during this whole pandemic. How many people have tested positive locally? How many have died? Has anyone died in the local nursing homes? Now, in these difficult times, we're turning to you to support our work by purchasing a subscription or making a donation to help fund our daily efforts. With your support, these are the questions we're continuing to report on. Every day, our reporters and photographers have been working the streets and the phones to answer these critical questions. And every day, they answer the bell with their timely and well-documented reports from the front lines in the region. Behind the scenes, the rest of our editorial team, including our sports writers, copy editors, and digital producers, have been wholly focused on covering the COVID-19 story. During this critical time, everyone here at the paper is working to provide important news and information to keep the community safe and connected. But our ability to serve our community is being threatened by some economic challenges posed by the pandemic. We have stay-at-home orders, business closures, and school shutdowns, and they're contributing to the massive instability in the local business landscape. Despite all of these changes, the Gazette will remain committed to serving the community for many years to come, just as we've been doing unfailingly for the past 125 years. So please go to thedailygazette.com and donate or purchase a subscription to the Daily Gazette. Thank you, be well, and please keep reading. Hi, I'm Kaylin Brown, Managing Editor of the Daily Gazette. I'd like to wish you a happy holiday season. Please stay safe and wear the face mask. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, my next guest you hear are every night on ESPN Radio with uh, Freddie Fitzsimmons from 9 to 1. Also on Sirius Channel XM80. Uh, welcome back to the program, our good friend Freddie Coleman. Freddie, welcome back, my friend. How are things? Things are good, Ken. How are things with you, my friend? Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, obviously, we're taping this on December 8th, and we'll talk a little more about the significance of that date in just a moment. But let's get into probably the worst-run organization in all the professional sports, your New York Jets. <laughs> What what is going on with this team? They they snatch defeat from the jaws of victory on Sunday against the Raiders when uh, Greg Williams decides to go out with an all out blitz uh, there and uh, cost him the game, cost him his job, and somehow Adam Gase is still run, uh, the coach of this team. What what as a Jets fan? What how how do you feel? I don't think any words to describe how I feel, especially when it comes to Adam Gase being in charge of the New York Jets. But I will say this. We were all warned about this when the Jets made this hire because the Miami Dolphins told everybody after making the playoff, they said, we cannot have this guy in charge of our organization as a head coach. So we got that warning when the Miami Dolphins fired him. And I guess I'm not surprised that Adam Gates is still around because, Ken, I firmly believe the Jets organization that has stood by him. We remember what Christopher Johnson said, part of the ownership group of the Jets, which he said that Adam Gates is an offensive genius or the GM Joe Douglas saying that Adam Gates is not the main problem here and everybody could not stop themselves from laughing that hard. The Jets, I think, are probably figuring out that, hey, we're going to go 0-16, he's going to have to be here at the end because he's the reason that we are 0-16. And there are plenty of people that can get that blame, but he's the one that has the main blame. So that's
that's where I believe that everybody should be at with the New York Jets, whether you're a Jets fan or not. We know how terribly run this organization has been. They made another coaching disaster hire when it comes to Adam Gase. They're thinking, well, if everybody's going to go down in the Titanic, we're not going to let anybody be a survivor, especially the head coach Adam Gase by firing him with four games left in the regular season. It just, I mean, it, as you said, the Dolphins warned everybody. It just, uh, where, what, and this, I think, also is arrogance. I mean, he's very yeah. arrogant when he talks to the media, and I mean, he seems like Bill Belichick. Well, you know, Bill Belichick can be arrogant, but he's got six Super Bowl rings with the Patriots and a couple more with the Giants. So if he can be arrogant if all he wants, but Adam Gase has nothing on his resume that should prove maybe he should, it's time for him to eat some humble pie. But you know what it is with guys like Adam Gates, and I also put Matt Patricia, the former coach of the Detroit Lions, and the former assistant of Bill Belichick, I put them in the same category. They think they have skins on the wall, but they haven't done anything, and they're basing their arrogance on who they've been associated with. Adam Gates got his head coaching job because of the work he did with Peyton Manning. I'm thinking Peyton Manning did not need a lot of help from Adam Gates when they were together with the Denver Broncos. Same thing with Matt Patricia. Matt Patricia believed that while I learned under Bill Belichick, I should be accorded that respect that he's gotten. When you don't have any skins on the wall and you have not proven that you can get skins on the wall, you have no reason being arrogant. For example, you look at Brian Flores, what he's doing with the Miami Dolphins, or Joe Judge, what he's doing with the New York Giants. They weren't trying to be Bill Belichick Part 2. They didn't come into those jobs with arrogance. They came in to say, this is how I'm going to run my football team. I'm going to do it that way. And look at the results linked with the New York Giants underneath Joe Judge in his first year, what Brian Flores has done from minute one with the Miami Dolphins. When you're that arrogant but you don't have anything, anything that is in your toolbox to show a kind of weaponry that you have where you're not going to get any favors and any kind of leeway from anybody else out there, whether they're supporting your team or not. And that's why Matt Patricia is no longer the coach of the Detroit Lions, and why Adam Gates should never get a head coaching job ever again in the National Football League. So you get any kind of coaching job in the National Football League. <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody will hire him as a quarterback coach. I could see that happening from that standpoint, but... That's as far as this should go because he has shown in two different times that he can't run a football team, he can't be a head coach of a football, football team, and he's a horrible judge of talent. The guys that he has run up in the New York Jets that are thriving everywhere else, Leonard Williams with, with the New York Giants, Jamal Adams with the Seattle Seahawks, Quinn Richardson with the Cleveland Browns. Adam Gates ran up a bunch of those guys like that, and he wanted guys that he could rally around or be these diamonds in the rough. When you're not good at talent evaluating, why do you believe that you know exactly what's going to go into being a good football team or know the good football players are supposed to be in the NFL? What do the Jets need? I mean, besides firing Gates, what do the Jets have to do? Obviously, if Trevor Lawrence, they're going to get to get the number one pick. It's going to be Trevor Lawrence. I mean, is he going to be the answer? I mean, what kind of coach should they hire, especially in light of uh, Trevor Lawrence is probably going to be their number one draft pick? Well, there are a couple of guys out there. I've been a big proponent of Eric Bieniemy, the offense coordinator of Kansas City. We see what he's been able to do working with Andy Reid, that kind of offense out there. Brian Dable, the offense coordinator of Buffalo's Bill, Buffalo Bills. He's been Bill Belichick. He's been Nick Saban. He's done a tremendous job with Josh Allen. Both of those guys have been really good teaching young quarterbacks and teaching that quarterback position. So whether you keep Sam Darnold, which is not going to happen with the New York Jets can, and you draft Trevor Lawrence instead, you need somebody to understand exactly how to coach him up to be an NFL quarterback, and then you can put pieces around him. The Jets are far away from being a good football team, but you hit on a couple of draft choices, and you get a couple of quality free agents, especially difference makers for your young quarterback, then that road is going to get a lot shorter to respectability, and then you can trampoline off of that. But if I'm the New York Jets, you got to go with an offensive guy in this situation. If you believe that Sam Donald is a guy, fine. If you believe that Trevor Lawrence should be the guy, fine. But you need to put somebody in place that knows 
almost sound like, sound like they should try to trade Darn, uh, Darnold and keep Joe Flacco, have a veteran to help Trevor Lawrence if they uh, get Trevor Lawrence. Or if you find a different kind of backup as a quality backup as a veteran, so be it. But if you're going to have the number one pick in the draft finishing 0-16, you have to draft Trevor Lawrence. There's no doubt about that. If Trevor Lawrence basically said he's leaving after this year in Clemson, I don't think he's going to go back on his word. But if Adam Gates is still going to be the head coach, there's no way Trevor Lawrence would even think about going to the New York Jets. Not saying he would go back to Clemson for another year, but he would try to find his way out of that number one pick and not have the New York Jets draft him. I don't think anybody out there would blame Trevor Lawrence from that standpoint. So whoever you bring in, whether it's a backup quarterback to be a mentor to him, whatever that's going to be, it has to be all about what can we do to fortify our team and surround a guy that many people believe could be better than Andrew Luck was in the National Football League. And Andrew Luck was pretty successful before he decided to walk away from the NFL because he got sick and tired of football and wanted to do something different. Well, another quarterback controversy uh, further down I-95 in my hometown of Philadelphia. It was announced on Tuesday that uh, Jalen Hurts is going to be the starter against the Saints on Sunday, you know, relegating Carson Wentz to the bench. Uh, not shocking, but uh, what does it say about the Eagles? Boy, Ken, that's a really good question because how much of this is not just on the quarterback Carson Wentz or the head coach Doug Peterson, but Howie Roseman, the general manager, because he's the one that did not do enough, in my opinion, to help out on that offensive line or draft quality wide receivers. Now, Carson Wentz has not helped himself, there's no doubt about that. And Doug Peters made the right decision. You can't start him this week, and as far as I'm concerned, you can't start him the rest of the year because that team does not want to play for Carson Wentz. They have clearly shown that time and time again. And you can visibly see it Sunday that every bad throw he made, plenty of guys just hanging their heads going, oh, my God, here we go again. So whatever spark that Jalen Hurts is going to provide, not if, but is going to provide for Philadelphia, you have to ride with that for the rest of the year. But now you have an interesting dilemma because what if you move on from Doug Peterson? Then who are you going to bring in? Because Carson Wentz is going to be uncuttable and untradeable when he's going to count close to $60 million in dead money against your salary cap. You can't just let him go somewhere else and you won't have any money left to bring somebody else in that you believe can be the quarterback or can compete with Jalen Hurts if you believe he's going to be the guy going forward. So that's the answer to what now for the Philadelphia Eagles. They're going to have a lot of interesting decisions that are going to have to be made regarding the coach, regarding the quarterback, and what kind of personnel they need to put out there, especially Carson Wentz in that Albatross contract that's really going to hamstring them from doing anything else regarding making this team better in the near future. I got to, I got to think Howie Roseman, the general manager, has got to be on hot seat too with, uh, with that contract and all the uh, you know, bad drafts he had the last couple of years. Well, you would think, but I think he has to hear Jeffrey Lurie, unless Jeffrey Lurie decides to clean house, and I don't put anything past anybody, especially the kind of owner that Jeffrey Lurie is. I'm not saying he's Jerry jones light, but he's the kind of guy that does not suffer fools gladly. If he believes that everybody is going to have to go, then Jeffrey Lurie is the kind of guy that will make that kind of decision. But I still firmly believe that Howie Roseman is going to keep his job. I thought that Doug Peterson would get another stay of execution when it comes to another year again, but... If this goes on, let's say the Eagles don't improve, let's say they don't win another game, then you can't bring him back after coaching with 3-12-1 barely two years after winning a Super Bowl. You're going to have to do something different. The question is, who, do you, who are you going to bring in that can write Carson Wentz when you paid him that kind of money, franchise top quarterback money, to be the face of your franchise? That's going to be very interesting whether he feels that the Eagles go if they decide that Doug Peterson has to go from their organization. Freddie Coleman joining us here on the Parting Shots podcast. Now, let's look ahead. Uh, look at the situation this year, both in NFL and college football and the coronavirus. Uh, it's just, it's been a nightmare for both uh, college football and NFL. We just found out Tuesday that the Michigan-Ohio State game is not going to happen Saturday because of the number of positive 
test on the Michigan the football team. It seems like they're trying to plow through this, and but it doesn't seem it's it's working. It seems it's okay, but it's to the point where does this really see these seasons count at all because it's so chaotic? Well, you can use the word chaotic, and it's an appropriate word, but. The NFL basically told everybody who was somebody for the season that they were going to be here for everybody with college football games being canceled. The NFL anticipated that, and also they have a lot more resources at their disposal that they can move games and move them here and there. And, yeah, players really complain about it, but they also don't want to miss game checks and that's the football league. That's why they've gone along with that herd mentality. When it comes to college football, especially with the Big Ten and the Pac-12, if they had only done what the SEC, the Big 12, and the ACC were able to do, they would be in a better position where Ohio State and Michigan does not get canceled. Or if it does get canceled, then you have a little bit of a window to play with before that game can actually happen. And when you have coronavirus and you don't have an answer to it because scientists have an answer to it, you can't expect that Council Power Brokers are going to feel the same way. They were looking at what the NFL is looking at, potential revenue loss. But Council has a lot more revenue to lose because a lot of that revenue is because of game day attractions, tailgating, people in seats, the whole nine yards. The NFL can still not lose enough money because the advertising is there outside of people being in the stadiums. Council can ill afford to have that because this could set college athletics, who knows, anywhere from five to six years back in terms of trying to recoup that lost revenue. So it may be chaotic. Not maybe, it is chaotic, no doubt about that. But if the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have waited and done the ACC, the SEC, and also the Big 12 did, they'd be in a far better position with games being canceled and having enough rigor room to make sure those games are going to be made up one way or the other. You almost wish that the college football playoff would have expanded this year with, with regards. We, we saw the NHL expand the playoffs this year because of, the, because of the coronavirus. They put 24 teams instead of 16. What's, what's wrong with expanding just this year for eight teams, just to, just to make it fair for everybody? Well, that, that, see, that's why I disagree with you. I don't think eight teams would have solved the problem because if you're having these kind of issues, what's to say you're not going to have an issue with eight teams being part of a college football bubble? You may have issues with four teams. With 18, I think it's going to be even more of a pressure situation when it comes to college football. And, I, and just because you can have a chance to add more does not mean it's going to be better. That means you guys still have players out there that could be in contact, and you increase the potential spread of the coronavirus involving different teams, or a team may not be able to play if they have COVID-19 issues. In this situation, to me, Ken, that is going to be better for college football. And I firmly believe it shouldn't be more than four teams anyway. I think they have the perfect number for the college football playoff. But especially this year, I think four is the exact number that you need because more than ever before, we have so many coronavirus cases popping up and players not being able to play or coach not being able to coach. Adding eight teams may even exacerbate the problem even more. And college football has had enough of that with 121 games that have already been canceled or postponed so far this season. And I also see it in college basketball, too, where games are getting shifted around uh, here in the capital region. Uh, Siena, was found, we found out today for the second time, the Siena men's basketball team has to pause. Uh, UAlbany's uh, programs had to pause twice. Uh, and I saw a, a quote or tweet from Rick Pitino recently where he said, maybe we should move the bas- start of basketball back and maybe have May Madness. And more and more we're looking at it, he, he, it could be right. Maybe we should just you know, take a deep breath, maybe back off a little bit and, and, and reset things until we have at least somewhat under control. Yeah, I thought he was spot on, Kim, when I heard that when he put that out there a couple of weeks ago. I said, you know, that's not a bad idea because this way everybody can sort of be close to the same page. We give people a chance to deal with this, and if their vaccine is going to happen, if they're able to have that kind of vaccine sooner than later, we have to see what's going to happen here in this country because we've seen it already that Canada's going to have it at the end of the month. England's already started that already, making sure people are inoculated against COVID-19. 
heard that from Rick Pitino, I said, I don't think that's a bad idea. As a matter of fact, I think that's a terrific idea. But so many people are hell-bent of having college basketball start when they wanted or wanted to start when they wanted it, especially not having an NCAA tournament last year. But we've seen big games not happen. Gonzaga-Baylor was going to be an out-of-sight early season matchup, but that had to be postponed because Gonzaga had to pause activities. And we've seen that at mid-major basketball. You mentioned Siena, place like Sacred Heart, for example, in the Northeast Conference, but they had to delay their seasons or postpone and cancel games in the MAC conference that Siena plays in as well. So Rick Bettina was on board with that. And I'm, surpri- I'm not surprised that people just completely dismissed it, but I'm really surprised a lot of people have not thought more about that to make sure that college basketball is going to happen, but make things as safe as possible, a lot safer than what's going on in college basketball right now. Yeah, it's just, it's just crazy. Uh, one thing I'd like to talk to you about, uh, I know we talked about this before, about your musical choices, and you tweet. I you know, saw one the other uh, last week, and I was like, I'm jealous of you because I can't do that because if I decided to uh, play uh, good tunes, I'd probably bankrupt our country, or our, not country, our company with uh, you know, the uh, rights fees. But uh, I, I think, you know, how much is music important to you with in, with regards to sports? I used to play a lot when I did the uh, college hockey segment with Roger Weiland back in the day on Fox Sports 980. And I always, I mean, equating sports and music, it's just, it's, it seems like a, a perfect marriage. It really is, and the reason I say that is it just gives a rhythm to the show. It brings people further and further closer to what you're doing on the radio standpoint. And I always thought, even when I got to ESPN Radio, that if I ever had a chance to have my name on the show or have something like that, I would do things a lot differently, I guess, than other people do it. And there's nothing against ACDC and Back in Black or Guns N' Roses, Welcome to the Jungle, but I was tired of hearing the same thing over and over and over. Yeah. It was either clap, rock, or hip-hop, and I'm thinking there's so much great music out there that you can just draw so many different wells of that music or whatever musical genre that's going to be. You can do country over here. You can do old school soul over there. You can do classic rock here. You can do alternative rock over here. You can even do stuff by Bob Dylan. We played like a Rolling Stone one night in the show, Ken. And one guy hit us on Twitter. He said, man, I can't believe you guys played that. I haven't heard that song in years. And that makes me love your show even more. It's part of the pulse of our show that people don't know what they're going to get. But usually when they get it, they're like, oh, wow, well, man, I haven't heard that record before. I wonder who that is. Anything that can bring attention to your show is going to be good attention as far as I'm concerned from this standpoint. And I always look for something that has like a rhythm, has a feel to it, because not everything is going to work. It can be a great record, but that doesn't mean it's going to work in terms of bringing you back from commercial. So I always think about that when it comes to our show and how we're going to do it. Yeah. As I mentioned at the top of this segment, uh, December 8th, we're taping this on a Tuesday, December 8th. Uh, 40 years ago, uh, we lost John Lennon senselessly to murder. Where were you, Freddie, when you uh, heard the news? I was in my room in Lawton, New York. I was not even 15 years of age yet. And then all of a sudden, I'm listening to Richard Neer, one of the great DJs of all time in New York, and WNEW 102.7. I'm just, you know, doing my homework, listening to radio, because that was part of my DNA when I was going through high school. And all of a sudden, he burst in with the news that he broke in. He stopped the record, and he said, you know, we're hearing terrible news out of New York City tonight that John Lennon was shot, and he has passed away. And he said, for the first time in my life, I don't know what to say. And the radio just went silent for about anywhere from, I think, 10 to 15 seconds, or it seemed that long. And I remember, because I was eating a sandwich at the time, Ken, and my mouth hit the floor. I said, wait a minute, did he just say what I thought he said? And there's no way that that can be true. But it was exactly true. And so many of my friends the next day at school, 
it was just an outpouring of so much emotion and so much grief from everybody. And even if you were not a Beatles fan, you clearly understood this was a seismic event that happened. This was something that no one even saw coming, that a Beatle, one of the icons, not just in music, but in life. And he was cut down tragically at the age of 40. And then finding out stuff after that about his killer, Mark David Chapman, just brought that even more to the surface. But I'll never forget sitting in my room and at my mom and dad's house in Lawrence, New York, and Richard Neer of WNEW 102.7 FM busted in and said that John Lennon had been shot and killed. And the look, I, I'm glad I have a mirror. I'll probably look like a maniac, but the look on my face, I could just see it right now thinking, wait, what, what happened now? And that feeling has never, ever left me, not even four years later. Yeah, I discussed it last week at uh, my closing uh, parts of the show last week. I was uh, in high school, senior year of high school, and we had a rare Monday night basketball game. So I got home, I guess about 10.30. I was a team team manager and I uh, went to bed, I guess about 10.45. I had a Monday night football. It was a Monday night football game on that night, too. It was a Monday night. And um, my mom, about, I guess, about 12.45, 1 o'clock in the morning, came in to uh, wake me up and inform me of the news. And I was like, oh, my God, you, you really? And I thought, I thought I was dreaming. And I woke up the next day, and you hear it on the radio and the TV. And, of course, back then it was Howard Cosell who alerted the world uh, at a Monday night football game uh, that John Lennon had been shot. So there was obviously the sports tie in there. But that was – and, of course, there was a great, I think, 30 for 30 recently where um, – Howard was a little reluctant to talk about that, and Frank Gifford told him, yeah, you got to go with this. Right, exactly, and especially when John Lennon had stopped by the Monday Night Booth and forgot the year, and they talked about the story I read later on that it was really cool having John Lennon having football explained to him by Howard Cosell, and I said, wow, can you imagine being in the booth where you got a Beatle and Howard Cosell, and Howard Cosell is explaining the nuances of the NFL game that John Lennon. It, you, it, that can happen this day and age because there'd be so much video around that people want to film that and show that and put it out there so it can go viral from that standpoint. But I remember reading about that story thinking, that must have been really, really cool that you look over and there's a Beatle and Howard Cosell watching a football game and Howard Cosell is explaining it. That'll be the same thing as if John Lennon was at a soccer game explaining that to Howard Cosell in that situation. You just look over and think, wow, this is actually happening about five to ten feet in front of me. So, yeah, there's certain things that you always remember growing up, whether it's adolescence, whether it's teenhood, whatever that is. But that's something that night, December 8, 1980, is always stuck foremost in my mind about the murder of John Lennon. Yeah. Well, Freddie, uh, I appreciate all you've done for me over the past year uh, coming on the program. Uh, I hope you have a very Merry Christmas, you and your family, and I uh, look forward to uh, uh, talking with you again in 2021. And hopefully we're talking sports and not coronavirus. <laughs> No doubt about that. Can't have a great holiday as well, my friend. Continue to be safe, and I'll talk to you soon. You too, Freddie, my friend. Take care. That's Freddie Coleman. We'll be back to wrap up the podcast in just a moment. Hey, football fans. The Daily Gazette You Pick'em Football Contest is back. Predict the winners of the weekly games via your You Pick'em online account. The fan with the most correct points each week gets their name in Thursday's Daily Gazette and wins a $100 ShopRite grocery gift card. The fan with the most overall points after 23 weeks wins a $1,000 travel voucher and could win a trip to Hawaii. To play, go to dailygazette.com football and create your account or use your past account. Select the teams you think will win 
You may enter your picks and score predictions five minutes before the start of each game. For official rules, go to dailygazette.com football. For questions concerning the local contest, contact Randy Lewis at rlewis at dailygazette.net. The trip to Hawaii is part of a national contest. The You Pick em Football Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, this is Daily Gazette Sports Editor Michael Kelly wishing you a happy holiday season. Please stay safe and wear the mask so we can enjoy talking about sports and not the pandemic in 2021. Back to wrap up the podcast, check out my Parting Shots blog for my Week 14 NFL picks and TV listings. Go to dailygazette.com slash category slash sports slash parting dash shots. Once again, I am going head to head with Daily Gazette news columnist Sarah Foss. Sarah went 9 and 6 last week to improve to 127, 64 and 1. I was 10 and 5 to go to 126, 65 and 1. I'm on the stretch drive here in December. Maybe I have a chance to win this year. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. The second wave of the coronavirus is hitting us, so please be vigilant. Keep wearing the face mask while you're out. Be positive. Stay negative. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I'd like to thank Matt Callahan. Ken McMillan, and Freddie Coleman for coming on the show. I will have another edition of the Parting Shot podcast on Friday as we look at the Siena basketball season. The men went back on pause earlier this week, while the women are expected to start their season Friday against Fairfield. Joining me on the podcast will be Gazette Sports Editor and Siena men's basketball beat writer Mike Kelly and Siena women's basketball head coach Allie Jacks. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot. That's S-C-H-O-T-T at DailyGazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed in the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, be smart, stay safe, Wear the face mask.